This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again. And welcome to the human side of healthcare. We're delighted you're with us today. And as all of you know, we have great topics that we discuss on this show. And we're going to do a follow-up on AFib. And what a delight. We've got Mark Cuban with us. And I don't even have to introduce Mark. He's well-known throughout the nation, but especially here in North Texas. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So let's just jump right in. How did AFib show up? in your situation? I was at a nightclub and I was drinking Red Bulls and I had a heavy sweater on and all of a sudden my heart just went bananas. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. I think I'm going to die. And so I took off my sweater, got a t-shirt, went off and just started walking and walking and walking. And fortunately, my first episode only lasted about 15 minutes, but it just freaked me out. Um, But you know, that was the first time. And that was probably 10 years ago. Wow. 10 years ago. Well, that's when it it first occurred. When were you actually diagnosed? It happened again, golly, probably not for five more years. And that's when I went to the doctor because it happened twice within a shorter period. And when I went to see just my, my regular physician, he was like, do you drink much coffee? I'm like, every morning you drink much Diet Coke every day? He's like, do you drink um, Red Bull? Yeah, I, I like Red Bull. He's like, well, you may have a problem, right? And, and so he goes, let's start off with just eliminating those and see what happens. And from then, um, that kind of helped me for a long time. And then it popped his head up um, a few times after that. You know, when it popped its head up and you talked to your doctor, do you think genetic stress, weight, any factors that impacted other than the ones you just talked about? Yeah, as it turns out, my uncle and my brothers had it. I didn't even know my younger brother had it at all until we brought it up in a conversation. And so, yeah, it's it certainly genetics are, are definitely part of it. Have you had any special medical procedures because of AFib? Yes. Um, so, I've, I've probably had only five real episodes. I mean, look, anybody with, at least with, in my situation, you, you'll feel your heart out of rhythm for some period of time, but then it'll click back into rhythm, right? It'll just be, and you, you know, it speeds up a tiny bit, but then clicks back in. And that's happened, you know, I don't even know how many times, um, but where, you know, where it was extended into the minutes or hours, um, I'd had a couple things that happened. And then on April 18th, I think it was 2019. And I remember the date because Dirk's retirement game, his last game at the American Airlines Center in 2019 was the very next day. And it was the first time I'd gone into AFED for multiple hours and I was freaked out. And so I called my heart doctor, Dr. Park, and he said, there's this thing called a T, I think it's called a TEE or something like that where you know how you watch on television and they are shock them and they put the gun, you know, they put the, the electrodes on his chest and you see him bounce in the air. Well, that's right. what it is. And they do that to try to get you into rhythm. And so um, at six o'clock in the morning, the, the day of Dirk's retirement and his last, his last game at the American Airlines Center, actually, 
I went and got my my heart shocked back in the rhythm. And other than two times since then, it, it stayed in rhythm. Well, I'm glad it stayed in rhythm. And I was going to ask you about that. With your busy schedule, and especially Shark Tank, when a lot of filming goes on, do you have to take special breaks or are no. there some time constraints? No, not really. I mean, I work out, work out a lot. I really try to stay in shape and I've really changed my diet a lot. You know, when, you know, the younger you are, the, the less impact all the garbage you throw in your body um, has. And as I got older, it became really obvious that, you know, all these things have an impact. And, and so I, I really became a vegetarian right, right at the same time I became a vegetarian and I've really been strict about my diet for the most part. I can, you know, I got three kids, 11, 14 and 17 uh, and avoiding all their junk is, is beyond my capabilities. But, you know, I, I've really tried to be smart about it. And that's really made a difference. You know, I heard a portion of a podcast you were on and you said you felt fortunate that your AFib was not like some other people's. Have you had to deal with blood thinners or any other special medications? I was on blood thinners for a while. But, you know, one of the things I do, I try to go and get my blood tested every six months or so. Um, just to see if there's any markers for any inflammation or stuff like that. Just, just so I have baselines and I don't necessarily recommend that everybody do that, but you know, I can afford it. And my doctor, after seeing, you know, all my blood work and taking my stress test and the nuclear stress test said that just taking the little baby aspirin every day was enough. You know, you mentioned throwing back the Red Bulls and some of the food we put in our bodies when we're young. Has this changed your perspective on other chronic illnesses? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I always used to scoff at people who, who said food is medicine, and now I 100% believe it. And I think just the reality of, of our bodies, they were designed in a certain way, and they're very forgiving when we're younger. And just as nature is, as we get older it's less forgiving. And we we need to be much more careful because everything that we eat or don't eat and every time we abuse our bodies, it, it takes its toll. Um, we don't bounce back the way we used to, you know. And, and so I really try to watch my diet, stick to the RDA recommended allowances, make sure, you know, now I eat total cereal in the morning so I get enough iron and, and you know, I have my fruit so I get my vitamin C and my B12 and my vitamin D and I don't want to say I've taken it to the level of a sickness, but I record everything in an app called My Fitness Pal, and it shows the nutritional information, and it really helps me stay a little bit smarter. And at least when I pig out or do something stupid and have a few too many drinks, at least I know, you know how to get back in, in balance. You know, Mark, I wanted to ask about stress. I mean, yes, diet affects our heart rhythm, but also stress, huge. What do you do about stress? I go out and shoot baskets. <laughs> you know, there's two things I do. I go out and shoot baskets and I yell at referees. <laughs> that's what that's you know, anybody who knows me, they're like, that's not you, right? You know, they know I'm competitive and they know I can be loud. But when I play basketball and over the years when I've played in leagues, I'm not a referee yeller. But at a Mavs game, for whatever reason, that's where I get out all my stress. I'm screaming and yelling the whole time. Is that really a release for you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Everything that's inside of me, I'm I'm taking out and it's getting out and because the games probably in my life, other than the health of my kids, um, who are 11, 14, and 17, you know, something every parent goes through. Other than that, Mavs games are probably the most stressful part of my life. And that's 
a good thing, I guess, relatively speaking. If that's where your stress come from, comes from, then things are going well. But yeah, so that's where I take out my stress and experience most of my stress. All right. So you're driving to the arena. You're feeling it. Over the next three hours, it comes out. And then yep. you drive home a happy guy? If we win. If, you- <laughs> if, we lose, if we lose, then, you know, I've gotten better. My kids really changed. Before my kids, I was, I was a mess for two days after we lose a game. But now, 21 years in, I've kind of gotten a little bit, I don't want to say used to it, but better at accepting it because my kids would just get mad at me. Why are you so, you know, why are you so cranky? And, da, 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 da. and so I, ha- I had to overcome that. Yes, this is the Mark Cuban on the human side of healthcare. We have him for the whole next segment and part of the next. So stay with us. This is the human side of healthcare, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again. Welcome back. We are talking to somebody who needs no introduction in Dallas-Fort Worth, Mark Cuban, Dallas Mavs, Shark Tank. And why is he on the human side of healthcare? Well, about 10 years ago, his heart started beating arrhythmically. It's called atrial fibrillation, and he's talking openly about it, including some of his other health ventures. You know, I'm going to pivot just a little bit, and thank you for being so open about your AFib and being a celebrity like you are. I hope our listeners take this to heart and really listen to some of your advice. But I'm going to pivot just a minute because you have such an eye for technologies and future technologies. Uh-huh. I think you've invested in several medical ventures, yep. particularly related to the heart. Can yep. you expand on that? Yeah. Um, first, for my personal use, outside of business investments, you know, I have an, um, an, Apple, an Apple Watch, which has an ECG, and so I feel out of rhythm. I can I can record my ECG there and that you know gives me a little confidence. I have one of the cardio devices which is a little bit more advanced. So it'll do an ECG when I need it. I have a little thing that I carry around when I travel for my blood pressure. So if I'm feeling stressed or you know when you're just feeling a little bit off, yeah, I can at least try to figure out what it is. Um, sometimes it's just being tired, but I just like to know. But in terms of business investments, there's a company out of Cincinnati called Genestesis. And it was started by just this guy um Payush, that at 22, he was a medical doctor, just a lot smarter than me. And what what he told me, and I had no idea, is that every organ in our body emits an electrical pulse. And there literally are sensors that can measure that pulse. And by taking that pulse and running it through machine learning, and by machine learning, it's a form of artificial intelligence that after having analyzed tens of thousands of the output of these sensors, they're able to tell with about 95%, I forget the exact percentage now, effectiveness um, and authority, what type of problem your heart is having. And that's particularly of interest to men as they get older. You know, as you get older, you start feeling things in your heart and chest pains, and you don't know if it's heartburn, acid reflex, you know, a muscle pull or something that that is truly bad happening with your heart. And by going through, you know, and let me take a step back. And when that happens, you kind of hope it goes away really quickly. And then you have to make that decision. Do I need to go to the emergency room or call a doctor if it, if it stays? And so with the genestesis device, and it's just finalizing its FDA approval and being tested in various hospitals, you would go in there. It takes a few minutes for the scan. And then they can tell you with a fair amount of accuracy 
what it is that you're dealing with at that moment and whether or not it's any a crisis. Because otherwise, it's really difficult for a doctor to determine what exactly is going on with your heart. You know, it's just that's where the technology is. And, and this it takes it a significant step further. You know, that's amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time to describe that. Now, obviously, with AFib, you're interested in things related to the heart. But just out of curiosity, do you think of other potential medical ventures you'd like to participate in to help the overall health of the community? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm involved in so many different things. Um, I help fund a clinic, the Dizzy and Vertigo Clinic that's in L.A. now. I had um, a scenario where I um, injured the otolith, which is in your inner ear, in your vestibular system. And for about from May 21st, 2015 until September of 2015, I was dizzy all the time. And I was having to take Valium to try to calm things down. They, they put me on Clonopin for a while. And, you know, and I was like, no, get me the hell. I'd rather be dizzy. Um, and so I went to this um, to see these two doctors, Dr. Pierce and Dr. Nava. And they put me in this machine that's used for war veterans who were injured and had have had significant brain injuries. And what it does, it evaluates the equilibrium between your eyes, your ears, and your brain, because sometimes your, your brain gets out of whack. All those three things get out of whack. And I literally worked with them to invent a virtual reality program that you can look at inside your inside a pair of goggles and that does the the realignment rather than having to go sit in one of these machines and so we're waiting on the patent so I think that's pretty cool but still you know doing these types of applications and trying to find ways to um, improve healthcare is something I'm, I'm very passionate about and you might have seen you know we allow we announced the the Mark Cuban Cost Plus drug company and where we're going to be selling um, drugs that we manufacturer and others that we import, but we're involved with the um, evaluating and confirming the manufacturing and we're selling them whatever our cost is plus 15%. And we're actually building a facility, a manufacturing facility in Deep Ellum where we can make a whole series of injectables so that we can offer all these different drugs that are way overpriced at our cost plus 15%. Boy, that's amazing. That is fantastic. And especially doing it here locally. You know, Thomas, uh, I've asked quite a few questions. I'm sure you have a couple. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Mark, I'm thinking, what would you say to people? In other words, you've lived your life very full. No secret of that. You play full out. But a doctor told me one time, you can basically get away with murder till you're about 50 for a guy. Yeah, my doctor told me, by the time you get to 55, something hurts every day. <laughs> you know, and you've just, you've got to respect your body and respect your mind and respect your time because it does catch up with you. And, you know, I was a party machine and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I have my fun and deep alum and, you know, still, I, I, I still know how to have fun, but at the same time, you know, you have to be smarter about it all. And you have to be really concerned about, your physical health, your and your mental health. And a lot of that starts with exercising. I exercise every day when we're done here. I'm going to go work out and make sure I get an hour in every single day if I can help it at all. And really be careful with what I eat. And it's actually more what you eat than how much you exercise. And so as you get older, you really, really, really have to recognize that what you put in your body is is everything. Um, and, you know, we all learn hard lessons, but I think, 
you know, I, I went through that period where, okay, you know, I can afford to go out to the nicest restaurants and, you know, this is a special experience. And then my stomach got bigger and my health got worse. And there was definitely a connection there. And so I just decided it was time to do something about it. Did you drop some pounds? Yeah, and it's more, I only lost, well, I, I guess over the years, my high weight over the last 10 years or so was probably 225 and I was 197 this morning. Um, so over the years, I've dropped pounds, but it's it's interesting because I'm thinner now and I'm in better shape now when I really got control of my diet and started eating more natural and getting rid of the processed foods and all that. And, you know, went vegetarian, not vegan, but vegetarian. But I really try to limit myself to the natural foods and nothing processed and less sugar. And that really, I mean, the pounds just fell off. Well, actually, the fat fell off of me. The pounds didn't because it was easier to turn it to muscle in the times I did work out. And so that really worked out well for me. But everybody's got to learn about their own body. But you got to respect your body. So you're an active guy anyway. So you just tweaked the diet a little bit, didn't necessarily change the physical activity and the pounds came down. And I, and I have more energy. Literally, I'm consuming because, like I said, I track everything in my fitness pal. And yeah, so I might like what I had for lunch today was black beans with some green peppers and some cheese in a microwave. And that sounds disgusting to a lot of people. But, you know, my, my kids will tell you there's the Cuban rule. If you like one thing and you like another thing and you combine them together, you're going to like it even more. And so that's kind of the way I think about food. So I like black beans. I like cheese. You know, green peppers are good. It gives me the vitamin C that I need, you know, for my daily nutrition. And I mix them all together and I like it. And so, but all those things are natural and all those things are, are straight, you know, not from, not packaged. And though it fills me up and that's the whole thing. And like I was telling my wife the other day, it used to be that I did 2,500 calories in a day because I track it. And then I'd have to work out to try to make up for some of the, the, the calories I ate. And now, you know, I'll be 1,700 to 2,000 calories and be stuffed, just stuffed because natural foods have more fiber, et cetera, and they fill me up more. And, and so I, I don't feel hungry at all. I'm stuffed sometimes too much. And it's just, it's just made a huge difference. Did you get any consultation to put this diet together or just figure it out? Yeah, I just figured out what I liked, you know, you know, do I like this? At least I'll try it. You know, um, things I never thought I would like. I like now I don't go out of my way to cook things like spaghetti squash. Easy to cook in the microwave. I can throw anything I want on it. I can just put cheese on it. You know, I can put a little butter around it. You know, I can put whatever I like, mix it all up. And there's 100 calories in a whole, you know, two cups is 100 calories. And it just stuffs me. And so those are the types of things that. You know, I can put it at a taste that really I really enjoy, whether it's, you know, cheese or whatever. I love cheese. And I mean, I don't overdo the cheese, but then if it's on spaghetti squash, I'm good. Sweet potatoes, I'll put two sweet potatoes in the oven, you know, set them for 45, you know, 450 degrees or whatever it is. They cook for 45 minutes. I dice them up real quick or I'll just eat them like, you know, you know, eat them like an apple, right? Where I'm just taking my wife's like, what the hell are you doing? But I'll just <laughs> eat it like an apple and, and just, you know, cause it's sweet and it, you know, it's tasty and it's healthy and it fills you up a little bit starchy. You know, sometimes I got to watch my carbs, my, my cholesterol is way down, my sugar, my glucose levels are way down. It's so far it's working for me. Mark Cuban on the human side of healthcare, quick break. And we're going to come back and wrap this conversation up right after this. Stay with us. 
The DFW Hospital Council, along with our over 90 member hospitals in North Texas, are proud to bring you the human side of healthcare with Council President and CEO Stephen Love and co-host Thomas Miller. Welcome back to the human side of healthcare. You know, Thomas, we had so much good discussion with Mark Cuban. Let's keep it going. Let's do. This is levity. You know, we've been under so much. We've had so much on our plate. We've had the ice storm and the deep freeze, and now we've opened up baseball. And this is sports. I mean, this is fun. So let's do. I agree. Yeah, this is fun, but I will tell you, Thomas, and I'm not trying to be a doggy downer here, but we've still got a serious, serious problem we have to deal with, and we'll talk about that later in the show. A few more minutes with your Dallas Mavs owner, (laughs) Mark Cuban. You know, it's amazing. You say you're a vegetarian, not a vegan. My wife is all plant-based. She goes a plant-based diet, and she lives by it, and she has really improved her overall health as well. Yep. Now it's your turn. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Mark. I need to do it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm good most of the time, but I'll have to be honest, not all of the time. Yeah. And you know what? That's the whole thing. Like is when, when I'm eating this way, I know I can make up for my, my cheat days and definitely, you know, kids have pizza cheat day. You know, there's certain foods that I'm just going to pig out on um, and feel guilty or sweets or something. One, you know, once a week, if my kids, you know, tiramisu, something crazy comes in the house, it's over. But, you know, then I know, you know, I know how long it takes my body about a week to cycle out of that stuff. And as long as I haven't had sweets in a week, I'm not bloated. It's just, you know, it's crazy that, you know, one minute you feel thin and then I'll eat sweets. And then the sugar makes me, the added sugar makes me retain, you know, and feel bloated. And it's just, you you start understanding the tempo of your body and the impact all these different foods have in your body. And it, never gets easy, but it certainly gets better. Do the games tempt you to cheat? Um, only if we lose, because I'm not a stress <laughs> eater. Um, and so I, I've got like honeydew melons. See, this is kind of like one of my cheat foods because they're sweet and they're in season and they're awesome, you know, now awesome. And so, you know, fruits that I, I didn't eat as much of and kind of like a cheat for me is I'll eat too many honeydew melons and then I'll put some, I'll also um, put some whipped cream on them or mix them with yogurt. So I get my sweet fix in a different way. When your heart goes into arrhythmia, Uh what goes through your mind? You get scared. Of course you get scared, you know? So with AFib, it's not the terror that you have because you haven't felt AFib before. It's that you don't know how long it's going to last. And that's scary, Um, at least with mine. And then with arrhythmias, you know, it's funny because um, I have to take um, Synthroid for my thyroid. And I never knew that there was an impact on arrhythmias by Synthroid. And so I started reading. So now I'm reducing the dosage and I get my blood tested to see where my TSH is, you know, to, to know. And so I've reduced the dosage some and my heart arrhythmias have reduced significantly. You know, we all get to a certain age, you deal with acid reflux at some level um, or digestive things. And so I've changed my diet completely to be acid reflux friendly. We're actually working on a website. Um, I don't know, I'm spacing the name of what we're going to name it. We're working on it now because if you have acid reflux, there's nothing you can just look on the packaging of food or there's no one place you can go if you have GERD, acid reflux, any of those things, IBS, to figure out what's good to eat. You've got to bounce from place to place to place um, and see a list here and a list there. So we're putting together 
um, a website specifically for people with IBS, GERD, and acid reflux, where you can get recipes and guidance. And we, we're going to have a ranking system for all the foods on there to say whether or not it's good or bad, acidic, non-acidic. So you just have one place to go. You know, Mark, we can't thank you enough. I know how busy you are, and we'd be remiss. You're talking about health, exercise. You know, our hearts go out to you and the Mavericks on the recent accident of Sean Bradley. Yeah. That is so tragic, and yeah. we'll keep him in our prayers. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Sean's a good guy, and like I said, life is half random, and, you know, the half we can control, you just try to live and love every single day because you just never know. Well, we thank you for being on the human side of healthcare, and we appreciate your excellent advice. Thank well, you so much. I appreciate you having me on. The conversation was great. I really enjoyed it, and congrats on the show. Thank you. You know, Thomas, that was pretty nice of Mark to wish us well with the show. He's the biggest shark, and for him to congratulate us on our show, wow. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, that was very, very nice. You know, Thomas, I'm going to pivot now, and I told you this is kind of a serious issue, one we're really concerned with, and that's these variants of COVID-19, and guess what? They're here in the Metroplex. So let's talk to Dr. Lee Hunter, an infectious disease specialist at Methodist Health System, as she unpacks this and explains how serious these variants are. Dr. Hunter, Welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. It's great to be with you today. You know, for our listeners out there, and I know they've heard a lot, and unfortunately, there's been a lot of things on social media. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Can you define for our listeners what are variants? Sure. Um, I think it helps to have a little background that viruses are constantly making copies of themselves. And so um, they make tiny little mistakes as they make these copies, and they're usually insignificant and probably, you know, don't matter too much to, to the virus itself. Occasionally, we'll get a change in the genetic code of that virus, which is called a mutation. And when that takes place, it could make the virus more dangerous, more easily to transmit, and maybe more difficult, you know, for our immune system to handle. And those are the ones we call the variants of concern. Um, it's, it's sort of interesting to know that there are probably over 4,000 variants out there, but we're only interested in a handful of them. You know, when I talk to some of the public health officials in North Texas, they say that those variants are already here in North Texas. Yes, uh, and in fact, and remember, we're behind in knowing how many we actually have, but as of uh, yesterday, Texas has over 1,200 um, variants, and Dallas County has 22, and so, you know, various and sundry ones, but most of them are the UK variant. You know, Dr. Hunter, when people uh, present with COVID-19, how do you determine who to do the additional work on to detect if they have a variant? That's a, a complicated process. And, and as mentioned, uh, it's, well, the process is called genomic sequencing. And so what they're doing is sequencing the genetic uh, codes of these viruses to see if they're changing. And so up until about, you know, a month or two ago, we really weren't doing enough of that. Now, that's been really ramped up recently. 
And so the way it's done, there is a random sample that is sent, and then we are also looking at patients that either have what we think are reinfections or people that have failed vaccine. And those are the real important ones we need to look at and see, was that because of a variant? And so we have to collect the specimen. We send it to, you know, the county or the state, and they send it to their lab, and then we find out. And so there's a delay of probably two or three weeks, you know, before we actually know where we are. So all the reports you see are probably from, you know, a couple, two to three weeks ago. So it's kind of a lagging report or a lagging indicator. So I know you mentioned that there are many variants How many would you say, just guessing, are there in the entire United States? Well, for right now, the ones that we have reported, so the UK variant, which obviously is is the one that we have the, the largest number of. So we know that one is here. We know the South African one is here, but in much smaller numbers. The Brazilian one is here in much smaller numbers. And then we have some homegrown ones. And so there are two from California, and they make up over 50% of the cases actually in California and more than 40% in Nevada. And then there's one in New York that was also, uh, that is called the New York variant. And it's really prevalent in New York City and the surrounding boroughs and accounts for more than 70% of their cases. So, so these variants of concern that, you know, that we're identifying now are becoming the prevalent cases in different geographic areas. So New York different than California, and then, of course, the U.K. we're seeing in lots of places, and Michigan is having a particular problem with that one. You know, you bring up an excellent point, and I hope our listeners will really focus and zero in on this. Homegrown variants. That's why it's so important, even though people say, hey, we're opening things back up, we're getting vaccines, we're not as worried about a surge, but we should be, because every time the virus grows and we have more cases, we could potentially develop a homegrown variant. Is that true? That is true. And, um, you know, you, you hear our infection prevention leaders speaking that we still need to maintain all of our mitigation efforts. So the social distancing, our mask, you know, all of the things that, that have protected us so far, we have to maintain that until we can get enough people vaccinated. So far, the vaccines actually look good. You know, there's some concerning areas with, you know, a couple of them, specifically South African and um, the Brazilian. But we feel like if people will get vaccinated and in the interim practice these preventive measures, we'll be a lot better off. The way you get variants is having lots of infections with lots of, you know, making copies of themselves and making these little mistakes. And if you can prevent that from happening, we can prevent the variants. In your professional opinion, on a positive note, I've heard from a lot of our emergency room doctors and primary care physicians, they actually think a benefit of wearing the mask is we've had a relatively low-impact flu season. Have you noted that? Oh, absolutely. And and that's probably the only high point of all of this because we were very concerned about a simultaneous influenza and COVID 
uh, outbreak. And so uh, this is just reaffirmation that masks work. More science and facts on the variants with Dr. Lee Hunter from Methodist Health System next on the Human Side of Healthcare. We're continuing our conversation on how you can empower yourself to have the best health possible in today's ever-changing healthcare environments. This is the human side of healthcare with DFW Hospital Council President and CEO Stephen Love and co-host Thomas Miller. Welcome back. You know, while we are opening up, the virus is expanding. It's called variants. And we're talking to an infectious disease specialist, Dr. Lee Hunter from Methodist Health System, about our greatest hope for ending COVID. Uh, the vaccines are our hope against the variants. So we, we have two weapons right now. One are the preventive measures that we talked about just to prevent infection. But the vaccines appear to work. There was an interesting study that came out actually yesterday where um, it, it wasn't that big. It was 800 patients, but the Pfizer vaccine worked against the South African variant. And we've been very concerned about that. So that's very reassuring and, uh, and, and really good news. So we know the vaccine works against the UK variant, and that's the one that's most prevalent here now. And it appears from that, that one report that it also works against the South African variant. You know, going forward, um, we have companies that are already working on, you know, retooled vaccines that will be more specific to the variants, and we may need those eventually. But right now, it looks like our, especially our messenger RNA vaccines, so Pfizer and Moderna, looks like they work really great. And so, you know, it's hopeful. And, and I say everybody should get a vaccination. You know, to follow up on that question, Let's throw the Janssen in that mix as well. If you're offered a vaccine and it's one of those three, should you take it? Absolutely. Uh, I think any vaccine that you're offered uh, in the United States today, you should take it. Um, and, and remember the uh, Johnson & Johnson or Janssen vaccine, uh, it was um, tested a little bit later, and obviously there were variants uh, present during that time frame. But the efficacy still looks good, and it's one shot, which is great for some populations that have difficulty making it back for the second shot. And so we're advising whatever vaccine you're offered in the United States, you should take it. You know, from your research and from what you've read, because as I said, unfortunately, on social media, you read things. Have you seen or heard massive amounts of adverse reactions to people that have taken the vaccine? No, in fact, that they've been. It's been a very tiny percentage of people that have had uh, difficulty with the vaccine, and no one has had a lethal reaction to the vaccine. Uh, you know, the only people that have um, that w that we worry a little bit about are people that have had what's called anaphylaxis, meaning a really serious adverse allergic reaction that causes difficulty breathing and might cause collapse. And, and those are usually people that had history of that to other to components of the vaccine. And so you know going in that you have to take special care with those people or not give the vaccine to those people. But the, the number of safety issues with these vaccines so far is, is minuscule. Uh, and so it is, they are very safe vaccines. 
and uh, you know we've had not any trouble at all. You know, a lot of the scientific evidence, and let's be candid, we've been at this for a year, and when you start looking at research and you look at outcomes, that's not a long period of time. So in, in a lot of ways, we're learning on the go, so that we're clearly on the cutting edge. But I actually read an article the other day that a physician wrote where he had people he was treating that had had COVID-19, but he classed them as long haulers. They still were having residual effects, lack of sleep, having other types of problems related to COVID-19, even after they had been treated. They got their vaccines, and over a period of a week or so, all of their long-hauler symptoms dissipated. Have you heard anything about that? So I've heard those reports, and it's fascinating. Uh, and and I guess you just have to be so grateful that they're getting relief from their symptoms because, as we've seen with other viruses, people that, that get um, the sort of chronic repercussions of the viral infection, it's really difficult for those patients, and it's difficult for us to deal with because, you know, there are no good treatments for any of them. And so it's fascinating that uh, that there are reports that people really feel like they've gotten better. And so I haven't seen any scientific publication about this yet because obviously we're early into the, the vaccine phase, but it's very interesting, and um, hopefully we'll get more data on that. Your advice as an infectious disease physician, if someone has received the vaccination, let's assume they've received Janssen or they've received both doses of either Pfizer or Moderna, as they continue to go out and about to the grocery store or if they have to go out into an area where there are going to be other people, should they continue to wear a mask? Yes, they should. Um, the The current recommendation is that even uh, even though we are vaccinated, we should continue our protective measures. And you know, some of that is about not everyone is vaccinated, and so you're doing that for the other person. But the other part is these variants, because we we are not we don't have enough information yet. We are gathering information, and so far uh, a lot of it is looking positive that our vaccines will hopefully protect us, but we don't know that for sure. And then finally, there's the the question of even though you're vaccinated. Can you still be infected even asymptomatically and can you still transmit? And once again, we're getting information that it looks like hopefully the vaccines are going to protect us from that. But the last thing that you'd want to do is transmit that infection to someone else unknowingly. So for all those reasons, uh, I still recommend that everyone wear masks and and continue to abide by the measures that uh, will protect everyone. You know, for our listeners out there that are hearing this from you, a medical professional and an infectious disease specialist, what is your advice to our listeners as to how they can help stop variants from growing and emerging? Uh, I'm gonna sound like a broken record here. <laughs> um, so, so the way that uh, all of us can hopefully stop the variants is 
continue to wear our mask and continue to, um, you know, protect others with the public health measures. Now, everyone should try to be vaccinated when it's their turn. That will also help because the sooner we vaccinate and protect people, the less likely we will have continued increasing infections and the less likely we will have more variants. So it's a, it's a multi-pronged approach, but it's public health measures, vaccinations, and then just be responsible. You've given us great advice, and I wondered what question I should have asked you that I didn't. So is there anything for our listeners that you'd like to message that I failed to ask? I think I, I could relay what causes the CDC or our other public health colleagues to label a variant one of concern because, you know, as I mentioned, there are thousands of variants, but we're not concerned about so many of them. And the ones that they label variants of concern, they do that because of uh, concern that that variant will either make testing no longer reliable or that maybe there'll be resistance to therapies as you were asking about, or maybe the vaccine won't work, or maybe it's more transmissible, or maybe it will cause more severe disease. And so when people hear that term variant of concern, the reason there's concern is because we're worried that the things that we have in place won't work anymore. And so I think that's probably what people need to think about um, and hopefully continue to try to, you know, keep the variants down by keeping the infections down. Thank you, Dr. Lee Hunter with Methodist Health System. She is a very well-studied and well-trained infectious disease specialist, a privilege to have you on the human side of healthcare. We've had two powerful interviews today, Mark Cuban talking about atrial fibrillation and Dr. Hunter talking about the latest on the COVID front, these variants, and both of these interviews in their entirety, unedited, are on our podcast. If you go to your favorite podcast player, it's the human side of healthcare. Steve, the last word is yours. Thanks for joining us today. Be back with us next week for the human side of healthcare.